Comics. Comics. Welcome to ORP, otherwise known as Omen Revelations Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Nunley. And I'm your co-host, uh, Steve Sellers. On ORP, we like to talk about geek stuff, pop culture, including movies and TV series, as well as comic books and comic characters. Uh, but that's not all, is it, Mike? No, it's not, Steve. We're also writers for Omen, Omen Comics and Revelation Comics. So we like to talk about both writing and our comics. So podcast and chill with us. Today we're going to be talking about the Indiana Jones franchise. Turns out that with Raiders of the Lost Ark coming out on June 12th, 1981, that makes the franchise, this, this the franchise's 40th birthday. And me and Steve just could not pass up the opportunity to celebrate this beloved franchise. Oh, definitely. Uh, Indiana Jones is easily like one of my favorite action heroes of all time. Um, I always loved the idea that he was both a scientist and a rugged action hero, and that he would always go on these crazy places and having wild adventures all over the world. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark captured my imagination as a kid, and to this day, it, it still does, even in the stuff that I write now. Um, Indy is very much a hero of the pulp era, but he's a very human character, even though he comes from those hard-edged pulp groups, and that makes him so interesting to me. Um, I just love this series, and I can usually find something to appreciate even in, in the bad stuff in this series. Uh, the concept to me is just that great. Oh, I agree. I agree. You know, uh, uh, things actually didn't start out uh, the way they ended up there. Uh, G George Lucas came up with the idea of Indiana Smith. <laughs> in 1973 uh he essentially wanted to make a modernized take on the old serials he used to watch as a kid like buck roger rogers and zorro's fighting legion spy smasher and don winslow of the navy uh in particular he wanted to emulate the constant going from one cliffhanger action scene to the next uh the the style of that in the in the serials and i think you can tell uh watching it that this was the idea i mean uh all you're missing is the actual cliffhanger endings where you have to come back the next week uh but it's you, you know you you just get the same kind of action from one thing to the next without having to without having to wait uh so in that in that way they're 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 uh, the, the, I, I don't know i guess maybe cousins <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, for a time, Lucas worked on the concept with uh, Philip Kaufman. Um, Lucas imagined Indiana as a, a womanizing nightclub patron who was a college professor and archaeologist adventure, uh, adventurer. And based on his own appreciation for archaeology and famous archaeologists like uh, Hiram Bingham uh, III and Roy Chapman Andrews and Leonard Woolley, Kaufman ditched the idea of Indiana as a nightclub patron and woman and suggested the Ark of the Covenant as the film's central goal. Uh, the Ark provided a source of conflict for the hero and the Nazis, playing off Nazi leader Adolf Hitler's historical fascination with the occult. Um, however, Lucas got caught up in making Star Wars, uh, and development on the project halted until after Lucas was done with it. 
However, once Star Wars was finished, uh, development on Raiders picked up again uh, when Lucas shared the idea with his uh, friend Steve, Steven Spielberg. Uh, Lucas and Spielberg had a general story from what uh, Lucas and Kaufman had worked out and lots of ideas about the scenario, set pieces and stunts, uh, but they hired Lawrence uh, Kasdan to write the screenplay screenplay i can talk and fill in all the blanks and uh between the action essentially to do the heavy lifting and uh, writing wise he he did coffin described that the hardest part uh of writing it was explaining how jones would fall into successive dangerous events and survive and and how he traveled between those locations yeah i can imagine that that would be difficult um, although I will say, uh, Indy had a few other influences as well, uh, some a bit uh, more obvious than other ones were. Uh, one of the early uh, ideas that was tossed around between Lucas and Spielberg is that they wanted a James Bond-style character, or at least Spielberg had brought it up. And then uh, Lucas famously said that he had something better than James Bond, and that was Indy. Uh, but the Bond influence is definitely a part of the character, though. Uh, the womanizing idea came from Bond, for instance. Uh, although this was uh, toned down in Raiders, as you mentioned. Um, but this is why Sean Connery was cast as Indy's dad in Last Crusade. I mean, the original James Bond was a spiritual father to Indy, so he was a natural choice to play his real one. Um, I also suspect that Lucas read a lot of pulp novels uh, and got inspiration from those. Um, Doc Savage did a lot of drug-trotting adventures long before Indy, and I'm pretty sure that Lucas likely read a few of those books. Um, also, um, Doc is a scientist explorer just like Indy is. Um, and in addition, uh, there's also a character called Northwest Smith uh, by an author named uh, C.L. Moore. And if you look at the Northwest Smith uh, story, there's a definite resemblance to Han Solo. Um, he even had his own Chewbacca-like companion. But I think the original name of Indiana Smith was probably a nod to Northwest Smith uh, with the name of Lucas's dog, Indiana, to change it up. And then Smith became Jones later on. Um, and then another piece of the puzzle was Charlton Heston in the 1954 film, Secret of the Incas. Um, the story in that movie was about an adventurer on the trail of an ancient Incan artifact in South America and getting shot at constantly around the way. And there's even a map room scene like they had in Raiders in that movie. Um, if you look at uh, Heston's character in that film, uh, you're gonna see a lot of very familiar design elements in Deanna Jones, uh, the leather jacket and the satchel and all that. Um, all in all, I would say Secret of Incas is not, uh, is not a bad film. I did manage to see it once uh, online somewhere, and it's pretty enjoyable, but you can definitely see where Lucas got a lot of his ideas, uh, but track it down if you can find it. Um, but in the end, um, Lucas created something different from a wide variety of influences, uh, including old films, classic serials, uh, as he did with Star Wars and old pulps. And India is a great example of creating dis something distinct and iconic by taking bits and pieces from everything. I can definitely see the pulp influences you're talking about there. That that makes a lot of sense. And Indy is a textbook example of emulating and not imitating, of taking what you love and making something new and different. Mm -hmm. um, Lucas seems like he was pretty set on his character persona being James, a James Bond type type of character, since uh, he was talked out of it twice and still did it anyway in the sequel. Um, but the subject of Indiana's uh, character came up in the discussions with Spielberg and Kaufman once again. Uh, Lucas wanted Jones to know Kung Fu and be a playboy who went on adventures to fund his lifestyle with the spoils. Um, Spielberg at one point even suggested that Jones be an alcoholic and a gambler. 
but ultimately, after hearing Spielberg and Kazan say that Joan was complicated enough being an adventurer and an archaeologist, Lucas decided he wanted Jones to be a role model who was honest and true and trusting, uh, but relatable. Um, to be relatable, the three of them agreed that he needed to be fallible, uh, vulnerable, and as capable of comedic moments as he was of serious ones. Um, Kasdan wrote Jones as an anti-hero, an archaeologist uh, reduced to grave robbing. Um, also, Spear Spielberg hated the name Spit Smith. Uh, he believed it would remind the audience of Steve McQueen's character, Nevada Smith, and all three of them agreed to use Jones instead. And I think it's a good thing that they did. I mean, the name Indiana Jones evokes a mental picture of adventure and feeling of excitement. Uh, plus, it kind of rolls off the tongue, whereas Indiana Smith, uh, I don't know, it sounds like a boring old college professor. Yeah, that was definitely the better choice. Uh, in addition, that Smith also comes a bit close to Northwest Smith, which is where I think the Smith name really comes from. Um, Jones sounds a whole lot better. And in fact, the Welsh background of the name was actually comes up in an episode of a Young Indiana Jones. Um, I also think they were right to make Indy more of a vulnerable character because I think that sets him apart from his larger than life influences. Um, he does struggle in his relationships, even if he might seem to be a playboy. Um, he takes hits and he doesn't just walk away from them. Uh, the wounds add up as we see um, with the, it's not the years, it's the mileage scene with Marion. Um, Ford plays Indy with a vulnerability under the title grizzled archaeologist exterior. And I think that that's one of the reasons that why he's so endearing and why he stuck with me for so many years. Um, he's this underdog hero who fights hard to hold on to what he finds and he doesn't always keep it once he's got it. Um, and I think that's a, a big, big thing with him. Um, but I think it's also wise to underscore the womanizing aspect. I mean, there's a scene uh, in Raiders Senate in his house with Marcus where he, it was originally going to be implied that a girl had just been there and that uh, Indy had just been with her. Uh, but that got scrubbed because Spielberg didn't think that Indy would do that. The character had moved away uh, from the Bond influence by that time. Um, Indy does have relationships with a different girl each film, but it's not because he's a womanizer. Um, I honestly think it's probably more because he's always on the move. And he's, he's basically uh, married to his job more than anything. And that's not really good on a relationship. Um, although I think Crystal Skull probably is the worst of the four in terms of quality. I think I agree with one thing about it. If Indy, Indy were to settle down with anybody, it would be Marion Ravenwood. I agree that they managed to have Indy with different women in the first three films without making him seem like a womanizer. Uh, mm -hmm. And that was a very good thing. I think that had they added that scene with the girl and tried to work the playboy angle more, it would have cheapened the character. Mm -hmm. uh, in my opinion, had they done that, the films would not have been as popular because it would have taken away from his charm, uh, much like making him an alcoholic and a gambler would have done. Um, as it is, Raiders of the Lost Ark became one of the highest grossing films of 1981, uh, earning approximately 330.5 million worldwide and played in some theaters for over a year. Imagine that, a movie in the theater for over a year. It was a critical success, receiving praise for its modern take on the serial film, its nonstop action adventure and the cast, particularly Ford, Allen, and Freeman. Uh, the film was nominated for several awards and, among others, won five Academy Awards, seven Saturn Awards, and one BAFTA. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is now considered one of the greatest films ever made and has a lasting impact on popular culture. Uh, the United States Library of Congress selected it for preservation in the National Film Re Registry in 1999.
Oh, yeah. Raiders, no question, earns its place in film history. And I think most people would agree that on either uh, Raiders or Last Crusade is the best of the series. Um, I'm, I'm a bit partial Raiders on that question because it had the best love interest and the best villain uh, with Belloc. Uh, not to mention that the, the stunts are outstanding in Raiders and the improvised moments are probably the best improv done in film history. But I wouldn't uh, blame anybody for preferring Last Crusade because it's really great. Yeah, uh, Indiana Jones was a big one in my house. Uh, I bet we watched Raiders of the Lost Ark a dozen times. Uh, it was a great adventure with awesome, memorable characters and a good and a couple good quotable lines. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm making it up as I go. <laughs> uh, that one, that one, like really kind of defines uh, Indy's character there. I think. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like we got to mention the luck of. Uh, uh, Harrison Ford landing two of the most iconic roles in film history with Han Solo mm -hmm. and Indiana Jones. I mean, most actors, if they're really lucky, might get one such role, but Ford landed two of those bad boys. Actually, three if you count uh, Deckard from Blade Runner. Um, That's but true. Uh, yeah, but two of them came from uh, Lucas and Ford, which is actually amazing. And uh, Lucas was originally resisted to casting Ford because he didn't want to typecast him. Um, Spielberg uh, was the one that kind of pointed out and said, uh, hey, uh, you know, we got Indiana Jones right there. And and looks like I said, I know who you're talking about. It's Harrison Ford. So uh, <laughs> but yeah, but originally they tried out uh, Tom Selleck, but uh, he was tied down to contract with Magnum P.I. So they couldn't use him. Um, they, he did do a test reel with them, though, and it's in uh, some of the special features on in Raiders. Um, Spielberg was the one who persuaded Lucas to use Ford in the end, and, and in the end, he was absolutely the perfect casting. Um, I still, to this day, cannot see anybody else in this role because Ford is just that good. Oh, man. I <laughs> Just hearing Tom Selleck playing, playing Indiana Jones makes me cringe a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, totally. Uh, Ford is, is like that with all of his characters, in my opinion. I, I don't think that a single one of them uh, could have been played by another actor and have been done as well. Because as you say, Ford was just that good. Um, however, there's something about Raiders that did not occur to me until I heard it pointed out by Amy Farrah Fowler on uh, The Big Bang Theory. And that is that there seems to be a rather large plot flaw in the story that Indiana Jones actually plays no relevant part in the outcome of the movie. I mean, with or without his presence, uh, uh, Belloc and the Nazis find the Ark, uh, take it to the island, open it up, and die. Yeah. Uh, as much as I adore Raiders, um, I have thought about that as well for a long time, and I agree. Uh, the movie really ends on a complete gay sex machina. Uh, which is normally a writer trope I despise in most films. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, a deus ex machina means God in the machine, which where you'd have a God descend and sort out all the problems from the characters. This goes back to, to Greek, uh, to, to Greek uh, theater. Um, this literally is what happens at the end of Raiders. Basically, God comes out of the Ark to kill all the Nazis and save Indy and Marion. Um, I generally believe the heroes should find a way to solve their own problems, and they don't here. So that's definitely a flaw in the movie, and, and it's a big reason why I don't blame anybody for preferring uh, Last Crusade over Raiders. But that having been said, I think a few things do mitigate that. Um, one is that this movie really earns a truckload of goodwill right up until the end. There is not a single bad scene or character moment in Raiders up until that point. Uh, when the movie earns that kind of goodwill, it is much easier to forgive when they do the, make mistakes like this. Um, and another reason is that it ties into Indy's character arc in the film. 
Um, this story is ultimately about Indy placing faith in something outside of himself or reason or science. Um, at the beginning, Indy talks to Marcus saying that, uh, well, he doesn't believe in superstition or the legend surrounding the art. And Belloc even says that archaeology is their religion. And, and he is right about that. This is true. Uh, but by the end, that changes for Indy. Indy now cares about something more than the art or about history or science. He cares about Marion more than the art. And he is willing to place his faith in God if it means saving her. And this is what separates Indy from Belloc. Uh, Bill, well, Belloc is willing to go to any lengths at all to discover the secrets of the Ark. And, and Indy is willing to put others before his own hunger for knowledge. Uh, the Ark sees this and spares Indy while Belloc and the Nazis die for their transgressions. Um, it's not the best ending, and I still have problems with it on a structural level. Um, it's definitely not what I would have done. But there's so much that does work in this film that I really can't get too upset about it. Make some good points there really i mean while the ending could have been better everything about else about the film works on a level that excuses the ending totally i, I agree with you 100 and if i'm being honest while as a writer I, I would have preferred a more fulfilling ending with the character arc of indy I, I can't say that the ending doesn't work for me i it's totally believable that god would have killed all the nazis and belloc uh and the bit about not looking actually fits with the holiness in which the jews handled the ark um little little bit of history on it there uh only the high priest was allowed to go into the holiest of holies where the ark was stored uh in the temple and he had to have a rope tied around his ankle uh because if he wasn't properly purified uh before he entered god's presence he would die and the other priest needed the rope to remove the body uh, one of the commandments concerning the ark is that it be carried by poles uh, created that were specifically created to carry it. And God was really particular about this commandment. One time, uh, the Jews were transporting the ark, and they decided to carry it on a cart uh, instead of carrying it which, with poles, which, admittedly, they shouldn't done. They shouldn't have done. But uh, they they hit uh, a bump on the road, and it actually started to tip the the ark over. And not wanting to fall, not wanting it to fall on the ground, one of the Jews reached out to catch the ark, and he died instantly for having touched it. Uh, I mean, so <laughs> it it you, you add that with 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 the with the scene there at the end. It it I don't know. It fits if you ask me. Mm -hmm. um, it would seem that along with the considerably darker tone of the Temple of Doom, Lucas finally got his uh, wish, making Jones a womanizing seeker of fortune and glory. Uh, even if the film is a prequel, it's hard to imagine that we're talking about the same guy as we saw in the first film. Uh, like Ford's first scene in that bar where he shoots uh, Guido is pivotal in defining Solo's character. Uh, Jones's fortune and glory attitude and line seems to define Jones in this movie. Yeah, that's true. Uh, to be fair, though, uh, Temple of Doom happened about a year before Raiders, so he's not that guy yet. Um, I always got the feeling that Indy was a wilder guy in his younger days. I mean, we definitely see it uh, in Last Crusade, for example. Uh, and maybe something happened to him to change him. Uh, we, hint, we get a hint of this in his past relationship with Marion and even some of the young Indy stories. But I totally see what you're getting at. He is indeed very different from Raiders and closer to Lucas's original idea for him. And you do kind of have to do the work of the movie to make the pieces fit. I can accept that. I mean, we all hopefully are growing all the time and, and therefore we can look back on parts of our lives and, and see a completely different person. 
but I, I don't like that it's implicit. Uh, it would be considerably more satisfying, in my opinion, if we had seen some resolution in Indy at the end of the film that would indicate a change in his thinking that could lead me to believe that he had become he would become the man he is in Raiders of Crusade. I mean, what would have been really great was to see Marion as the, a young woman in Indy when Indy first met her in the female lead for Temple of Doom. Mm -hmm. uh, if it had been used to tell their story. Uh, that that would uh, that would have been way way more fulfilling. But yeah. to be fair, uh, I didn't know uh, that Temple of Doom was a prequel uh, until I was doing research for the episode. Uh, mm -hmm. I always just thought it was a square peg in a round hole compared to the rest of the series. And mm -hmm. I mean, let me be clear: even with all my complaining about Indy's inconsistent character, I still love the Temple of Doom as a movie. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I enjoy it immensely whenever I watch it. I I, I just I just didn't really feel like it fit with the other two. Yeah, all that is totally fair. Um, I would have liked to see a, a flashback Marion movie, too. Um, I don't think there's much question that Temple of Doom is the weakest of the original trilogy of films. Um, there are a couple reasons for this. Uh, one of them is that the story revolved around some extra sun ideas that Lucas and Spielberg wanted to do for Raiders, but couldn't get around to, uh, particularly the minecart scene. Um, now, to be fair, these were great stunt ideas. I mean, the, the minecart scene in Temple of Doom is one of the best things in that film, no question. Uh, the problem is that the, the cart went before the horse, uh, pun intended, and uh, <laughs> they didn't have the, the stunts serve the story rather than the other way around. Um, another problem is they didn't have Lawrence Kasdan to write the script, and Kasdan was the key writer for both Raiders and Empire Strikes Back, which were two of Lucas's greatest films ever. Um, replacing him were two writers that Lucas had known from uh, American Graffiti, uh, Willard Hike and Gloria Katz. Uh, they weren't up to the challenge, unfortunately, and Lewis's two worst films of the 80s had their names attached. Uh, the, it, they were also involved with Howard the Duck, uh, which is regarded as one of the biggest comic book bombs of the time. Oh, that's so true. Howard the Duck sucks so bad. <laughs> Uh, from what I understand, uh, Kasdan didn't want to be a part of something as dark sounding as the Temple of Doom. Uh, not to say that he didn't do darker tones. As you mentioned, uh, he did Empire. Empire was clearly a darker than A New Hope, and Kasdan did that. Uh, but I think it says something about it that Kasdan felt Temple of Doom was too dark. Uh, Lucas, who had divorced from uh, Marcia Lucas, uh, attributed the film's darkness to his relationship problems. Um, I also heard that the film marked what would be a very dark time in the friendship between Spielberg and Lu Lucas, and I can't help but think that that added to the darker tone in their moods. Yeah, that does make sense, and it is true that dark periods in the lives of creators often leads to darker story to express those feelings. Um, it, it also would account for why this movie doesn't deal with Marion. And uh, that may be before the best, I think, uh, given his outlook at the time. Um, but speaking of Marion, we had a completely different cast in this film. Um, she wasn't in this movie, uh, neither was Sala or Marcus. Instead, we had two new characters, uh, Short Round, who was a young Asian boy played by a Vietnamese American actor, uh, Jonathan Kehui uh, Kwan, I hope I pronounced that correctly, um, and Willie Scott, who was a loud singer played by Kate Catshaw, who uh, would eventually become Mrs. Steven Spielberg. Um, while I didn't have a problem with Short Round as any sidekick, and I have nothing against Capshaw, uh, the, the character of Willie was really annoying. Uh, she was very often a damsel in distress, constantly whining about everything and screaming, and she was just a difficult uh, character to like in general. Um, now, that having been said, I did like the banner between her and Indy at times, uh, despite that. 
I agree. Capshaw's character was a total trope and ridiculously, almost headache-inducingly annoying. Uh, Kate Capshaw herself called her character not much more than a dumb screaming blonde. Um, in 1989, Steven Spielberg said that he wasn't happy with the Temple of Doom at all. It was too dark, too subterranean, and much too horrific. He actually said it outpoltered poltergeist, <laughs> and that there was not an ounce of his own personal feeling in the, in the film. Um, in the making of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom's documentary, Spielberg said that the Temple of Doom is his least favorite of the trilogy. And when he looks back on it uh, and he thinks that the greatest thing that he got out of directing the Temple of Doom was that he met Kate Capshaw and Kate Capshaw and that that was the reason he was fated to make the film. <laughs> um, Short Round, on the other hand, was awesome. Uh, I love Short Round as a kid because like Wesley Crusher did for me on Star Trek The Next Generation, Short Round provided a way for me as a kid to take part in Indy's adventure. Yeah, I quite like Short Round as a sidekick character. I mean, he's not a useless kid that you sometimes see in these action films, uh, but he's also not overplayed either. He's just a normal kid who comes from the streets and he picked up a few things along the way. Uh, not to mention that he spent enough time with Indy to learn from him. Uh, he's sneaky and he has to be because of his size, but he has a good heart and he genuinely cares about Indy. Uh, and he even saves Indy a few times, believably so. And it doesn't look forced or unbelievable at all when he does. Um, but all in all, I think I can understand where Spielberg was coming from on Temple of Doom. Uh, there isn't as much of the classic Spielberg sense of humor that we see in the first and the third films. And maybe he was dissatisfied with that as well. It definitely seems more of a Lucas film than a Spielberg film. Though there are some nice Spielberg moments occasionally before it starts getting grim. Um, now, the basic plot revolves around Indy's plane crashing in India, where Indy is tasked to recover the lost Sankara stones and help a suffering village. Very different from the previous encounters with Nazis, and I think it took some getting used to for some people. Um, this movie took influence from classic films like Gunga Din, uh, with Indy fighting the Thugi cult. And it also gets uh, much darker, too, as you mentioned, with hearts getting ripped out and Thugi rituals. and Indy even getting brainwashed halfway in the film. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> speaking of that, uh, the depiction of Indian culture ca caused quite a bit of controversy. Uh, three parts in particular were very offensive to Indians. Uh, number one being uh, the depiction of Indian cuisine, including dishes such as baby snakes, eyeball soup, beetles, and chilled monkey brains, as they are not Indian foods. Uh, the fantastical depiction of the Kali worshippers plucking out the hearts of their victims, embroiling them in flaming pits. And finally, number three, making it seem as if, uh, as if evil, poverty, and destitution reigned until the great white hero could intervene to restore justice and prosperity to India. These things are obviously ridiculous and would really cause quite a stir today. Uh, in my opinion, both Raiders and Crusades show a much greater respect for the cultures they were talking about. Yeah, so all that is unfortunately true. I don't think the writers intended it to come off as insensitive to the people of India, but it does look really bad if you look at the movie closely. Uh, the desert scene was probably meant as a joke uh, with the writers throwing every crazy thing they could on the table to serve the gag but it is factually inaccurate and it doesn't cast Indy in a good light at all. And I've always been bothered by the great white hero aspect of it too. I, I think a lot of it was probably ignorance in a Western-centric mindset rather than intentional racism, but I can entirely understand why people continue to have a problem with these elements. But at the same time, there are things about this movie I love, even if it's not the same kind of film as Raiders or Last Crusade. Uh, the minecart scene is great. 
And you get to see Indy get really badass moments like, prepare to meet Kali in hell. Um, the, the, the law of shake hold open is fun as well. And there's some really good funny moments in the dialogue sometimes. Uh, the cave-in scene where Ford screams, we are going to die is one that I still laugh at. And <laughs> hey, Ford's yeah. expression makes it even better when you just see his face and it's hilarious. Uh, and also, uh, Molaram is a physically impressive villain and he just looks creepy, um, even if he is no Belloc. Uh, it is a flawed movie, no question, but I wouldn't regard it as bad, just weaker than the other two. I, I can go with that. Um, let's talk a little bit about The Last Crusade now. Um, the Temple of Doom received mixed reviews uh, at the time it came out, though uh, it has come to be more well-received in modern times. Um, but when when it came time to do The Last Crusade, Spielberg decided to complete the trilogy with the intent of invoking the film with the spirit of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, but coming up with the idea for the script required a lot of work and revisions. Uh, Lucas uh, initially suggested making the film a Haunted Mansion movie, but Spielberg rejected the idea because it was too much like Poltergeist. Uh, Lucas then suggested the Holy Grail, but went in a completely different direction with it, giving it pagan roots and suggesting that, uh, that it worked like the Fountain of Youth, grunting immortality. Um, when that fell through, Lucas suggested making it about uh, the Monkey King and the Fountain of Youth, which in Lucas's version was not in Florida, but in Africa and involved a lot of things like his portrayal of Indian culture being so far off. But this time it was about a, a cannibalistic tribe in Africa, like there isn't uh, like 50 countries on that continent. <laughs> Honestly, reading some of Lucas's ideas for The Last Crusade made me think he didn't learn from his mistakes at Temple of Doom. No, clearly he didn't. Uh, Lucas has always been wrapped up in his love for film serials, and a lot of those serials had bad implications as well. A lot of those old B-movies and serials he referenced dealt with this very Hollywoodized version of Africa, and that's probably where Lucas's head was stuck in. Um, not to excuse it, as I think he really should have learned after Temple of Doom, but I don't think he ever realized exactly how bad those old films look from a modern and global point of view. Uh, Spielberg, I think, probably saved Last Crusade, as it seems cooler heads prevailed on this film. And I think the movie's better for it. Totally. Uh, it was Spielberg that suggested introducing Indiana's father, Henry Jones Sr. Um, Lucas was dubious uh, initially, believing that the Grail should be the ultimate focus of the story. But Spielberg convinced him that uh, the father-son relationship would serve as a great metaphor in Indiana's search for the artifact. Uh, son's, re a son's relationship with his estranged father is a common theme in Spielberg's films, uh, and it fits perfectly into this one. Um, Spielberg was also the one who suggested Jeffrey Boehm uh, do the version of the script they finally ended up using. Uh, several people uh, did it before him, um, in including Chris Columbus, actually. Um, Boehm told Lucas that Indiana should find his father in the middle of the story. He said, uh, given the fact that it's the third film in the series, you couldn't just end the film by obtaining the object. That's how the first two films ended. Um, he said, so I thought you let them let them lose the grail and let the father-son relationship be the main point. Uh, it's an archaeological search for Indy's own identity and coming to accept his father is more uh, about that than the quest for the grail. 
And I'm so glad they went with that. I, I agree that the that the crusade would have been just another sequel, if not for the relationship and character building of Indiana and Henry. Henry although we know that's Indiana's name too. But that's how I'm going to refer to him is I have to refer to them as separate. And I don't want to call them Indiana's father. <laughs> Making that the point uh, is what's, what makes the film endearing. Uh, I would also like to point out a couple of th other things I noticed about the scene involving retrieving the grail. Uh, the first would be the test of faith, where Indy had to step out onto what looked at like a, bottom, a bottomless chasm, uh, but there turned out to be a bridge to cross. That, that scene perfectly depicts what it's like to have to take a step of faith. I mean, if it looked like everything would be okay, it wouldn't require faith. Uh, the second would be that Jesus uh, did not have a personal cup. Uh, so the whole cup of the carpenter thing was hogwash. Uh, the cups, dishes, and utensils were all provided by the owner of the upper room that they rented it from and had the last supper in. Uh, but I did like uh, that choosing the wrong cup would bring deaths. Uh, the Apostle Paul talked about uh, taking communion and warned that uh, if, you, if you did this uh, and your heart was not right, uh, with God can actually bring a curse onto you, including bad health. Uh, so I think that it fits uh, that drinking from the cup like Jesus, uh, that Jesus used in the Last Supper, uh, doing it the right way would bring life and drinking from a false cup or doing it the wrong way would bring death. I, I just appreciate that detail. Yeah, that, 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 that was a really nice touch. Um, here again, I think Spielberg proves to be the wiser head of the two. And I think it deserves credit for balancing Lucas out so well because he was actually right to bring in Henry Sr. and deal with, with his estrangement with Indy. Uh, looking back on these films now, I think they work best with a strong emotional relationship for Indy, one that pulls Indy back when he gets too obsessed with fortune and glory. Uh, Marion was that character in Raiders, and Henry Sr. is that character here. In fact, uh, Indy's dad is in many ways the moral center of the piece, uh, reminding his son that it isn't the prize that matters, but service to God in defeating evil. Um, the other reason this dynamic works so well um, is that Henry Sr. becomes the reason why Indy chooses the right path. Uh, he loves his dad more than he loves finding the grail, much as he did with the ark. Uh, Indy doesn't seek the grail to bring it to a museum, but because this was his father's quest and because he wants to save his father from the Nazis. Um, Indy isn't naturally a man of faith, but when he needs to, he will draw on faith to save the people that he loves the most. Um, Indy's relationship with his father is much the same as his relationship with God. Uh, he is out of touch with it at first, but that relationship goes stronger as he holds true to his real purpose. I think that it's important uh, that Henry Sr. is a true believer because he's the voice of faith in Indy's life in this film. That's a, that's a very good point. I, I got to agree with that. Um, I, I want to talk a minute for uh, about the 1912 prologue. Um, mm -hmm. As seen in the film, uh, refers to the events, uh, the lives of Indy's crea Indiana's creators, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, when Indiana cracks uh, the bullwhip to defend himself against the lion, he accidentally lashes and scars his chin. Uh, Harrison Ford actually gained this scar in a car accident as a young man, so it, it fits with that. Uh, Indiana taking his nickname from his pet Alaskan Malamute uh, is a reference to the character being named after Lucas's dog. Uh, the train carriage indiana enters the name dr fantasy's magic caboose uh which was the name producer frank marshall used when performing magical tricks yeah true that uh we actually see indy's dog very briefly in the 1912 secret toward the end uh which was, i thought was a really nice touch uh river phoenix just did a really great job as young indy and he got ford's mannerisms down well enough to make me believe 
that he could have grown up to be Indiana Jones. Um, all the pieces are there that end up defining Indy later, uh, the bull whip, the fear of snakes, and where he got the fedora. Uh, one other thing of note about the young Indy sequence is that it looks like a film shot out of Monument Valley, and I was surprised to find out that it isn't. Um, apparently Spielberg considered Monument Valley to be sacred ground because of all the movies that John Ford filmed there. So they filmed the early parts of it in Utah, but it really looks like it could have been Monument Valley. Um, but a real location of interest, though, is the location of the Grail Cave. Uh, the exterior of the Grail Cave is a real thing. And in fact, it is the 10,000-year-old city of Petra in Jordan. Um, Petra is actually a really fascinating place. And at one time, it was the central city of the uh, uh, lost uh, Nabataean Empire. Uh, the real history of Petra is probably more interesting than the story that popularized it. And uh, one, one of the things that I love about uh, Indy is that how much attention it brings to real history for all that the series gets wrong at times. Uh, but I think if the series had ended here and they never made another Indiana movie, uh, Indy movie after this, I would have been totally happy with that. Uh, we got to see Indy and his family and his dad, Marcus and Sala, uh, right off into the sunset in classic Western style. That would have been the perfect place to end it. And I honestly thought they were going to leave it there until many years later, uh, which leads us into the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Um, in, in 2007, Indy did come back, and so did Lucas, Spielberg, and Ford. Uh, Spielberg was initially uh, resistant to the idea because he felt that the story was done uh, with the ride into the sunset, and he hadn't planned on doing, coming back to the character. It was fan demand that kept the character alive, which convinced Harrison Ford to come back. And then uh, Harrison Ford convinced uh, George Lucas to come back. And then Lucas convinced Spielberg to come back. So all that got uh, the ball rolling to do the new movie. And then eventually Karen Allen as, as Marion came back for the ride as well. So the movie would eventually be called Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which is a mouthful of title. I don't know why they didn't just go with Crystal Skull. Um, the, the problem is by then, though, is that Harrison Ford had aged 18 years since the making of Last Crusade. And nobody wanted to tell the same stories they had done already. Uh, plus, it really didn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, bringing the story forward by 20 years meant that the Nazis had already been defeated, which means now they needed new villains to fill the gap. Um, Denholm Elmiad, who had played Marcus, had passed away by then, so they weren't able to bring the character of Marcus back either. Uh, we do get to see like little uh, nods to Marcus, like the statue on the campus. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much where they were left at. I can see what Spielberg was thinking there. Uh, the Last Crusade was a fantastic ending to the trilogy, and beyond the demand for it, there there was no need to continue it. Um, but I'm glad he finally came around. Uh, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is, however, uh, a, a, a large mouthful of a title, as you said. Uh, the other titles really rolled off the tongue rather naturally, but that one feels forced. Uh, I agree that uh, just the Crystal Skull would have been a better title. Yeah, although there is a lot to like otherwise. Uh, Lucas chose to embrace the 50 setting, uh, moving away from the classic serials about Nazis and magic. Uh, instead, he wanted to take the B-movie approach, uh, taking influence from the science fiction films of the 50s. So instead of dealing with holy relics, the movie would deal with alien encounters, uh, government and conspiracies, and the Cold War. Uh, and then the Soviets were brought in to replace the Nazis since they were the major threat of the time. Uh, the result was a very different kind of Indiana Jones film, uh, for better or worse. Uh, Crystal Skull is a movie that I think had good intentions and good ideas. I think the basic approach was sound. I mean, they couldn't go back and do Nazis with a much older Harrison Ford. Uh, Spielberg didn't even want to do that. And clearly Lucas was more attached to the B-movie approach. 
So I don't think that the idea of Indy investigating relics connected to aliens is a bad idea at all. Uh, the Soviet angle made sense, uh, and Kate Blanchett actually was a good choice to play uh, Irina. Um, the film makes the 1950s settings work, and there are some really fun reference old 50s films. Um, if you notice the killer ants, uh, those were likely, likely a nod to The Naked Jungle, which is an old adaptation of a short story called Line Engine versus the Ants, uh, also featuring Clark Charlton Heston. So I think that movie tends not to be received well, uh, but it's more in the execution and more of the sillier moments. I, I initially took Kingdom of the Crystal Skull as part of that fad that was going on at the time with bringing old action stars into sequels of their popular characters, characters except as old men now. Um, but listening to how you explain that, I, I, I can see it in a different perspective. Um, either way, I think the film will continue to grow on me, even if it will not hold the same place as the original trilogy. Yeah, yeah same for me. But I, I have to overlook one huge problem to get there. Uh, the worst scene of the movie is probably the infamous fridge scene. While <laughs> on the run from the Russians, Indy walks into a model recreation of a 1950s town, but it turns out to be a test site for a nuclear bomb. So Indy's plan to save himself is to lock himself in a lead-lined fridge, where he miraculously manages to survive a ground-zero nuclear explosion. Even for this series that is over-the-top and silly, uh, Indy <laughs> should have been either pulverized from the explosion or dealing with serious radiation poisoning even with a lead-lined fridge. Right? I mean, you see footage of a nuclear bomb going off, and it's totally leveling huge buildings. <laughs> but that little refrigerator is going to protect him. <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that refrigerator scene uh, just tainted the whole film for me when I first watched it. Yeah. I mean, nothing that ridiculous has ever happened in an indie movie. Um, I have since learned, however, to overlook the refrigerator scene, and the film is better than I thought since I, I, I've learned to excuse that one thing. Yeah, you basically have to ignore the fridge scene to get anywhere with Crystal Skull. Um, my other main issue is with the character of Mac, um, who was uh, Indy's friend but betrays him to the Russians for money. Um, I grant that Indy has always had a problem with trusting the wrong friends, as Belloc famously told him. But come on, the guy is driven openly and obviously by greed, and we never really see him ever act like a friend to Indy at any point uh, in the movie that we see. Worse, he betrays him not just once but twice, and even after that, Indy is more than willing to risk himself to save Mac. At some point, you'd think that Indy would realize that Mac is bad news and he's completely out, out for himself and he doesn't care about anything but a payout. But I think we needed to see the two actually being friends before I buy Indy risking his neck for a guy that stabs him in the back twice. And even then, Indy should at least be a little suspicious, but he never is. The, the problem really is there's nothing in this film to make us root for Indy to save Mac whatsoever. That, that is all true, and I agree with you for the most part. But I have found myself willing to forgive and forget uh, to, to my own detriment. Um, Indy talked about them going on hundreds of missions together. Uh, that creates a bond that's hard to break. Uh, so while it makes Indy a bit of a sucker in the film, I can at least understand where Indy's heart was at. I mean, plus, I think it's a testament to the heroism of Indy that, like superheroes who risk their lives to save supervillains, um, is willing to help uh, Matt despite, Mac despite his actions. Yeah, I can totally understand that view of him. I think the problem just for me is that we don't actually see that old relationship in the movie. Um, one thing I loved about Revenge of the Sith is that Anakin starts off as the man he was, and we get to see Anakin and Obi-Wan have that last mission together as friends uh, before um, Anakin goes to the dark side. 
I think Mac probably turned too soon and we just didn't get to see why Indy cared so much about him before he made that first heel turn. I think we needed to see that moment where Mac does something good out of genuine friendship for Indy and it just isn't there. But I will say in the movie's favor that I like the family angle with the Joneses in this movie. Um, Mutt had a good basic idea, even if the character was just basically okay to me. Um, the idea of this greaser kid who turns out to be Indy's and Marion's son and is basically the same kind of kid Indy used to be makes total sense. Um, the role reversal with Indy in the place of Henry Sr. and Mutt as young Indy is fun to watch. Um, Shia LaBeouf tends to draw a lot of controversy, uh, but he, I think he did okay in this role. Um, he looked like the kind of kid who could be Indy's son, at least. And I was happy to see uh, Indy and Marion finally tie the knot at the end. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it is ultimately the family angle, along with Indy marrying uh, Marion at the end, uh, that uh, really endears the film to me. Um, mm -hmm. That part really connects with Raiders. And uh, in my opinion, is it's, it is uh, the Crystal Skull's greatest redeeming quality. Yep, totally. Um, all in all, I'd say you know, Crystal Skull is a, a film with a lot of really great ideas and quite meshed together as well as the previous films. Um, it's not an awful film by any means, but I think it doesn't have this impact or flair as the original trilogy. Um, even Temple of Doom is one I feel like I can go back to and rewatch from time to time. Um, Crystal Skull is a film that I feel like I can move on from after seeing it once or twice, um, which is a shame because I think there's so much I really like about it for all of its flaws. Well, that about takes up our time for this episode. Um, thank you guys for celebrating the Indy's 40th birthday with us. Um, we'll see you back here in a couple of weeks to celebrate Stan Lee's birthday. How? I don't know. Uh, I'm making it up as I go along. I hope you've had fun hanging out with us today on ORP. I know that Steve and I have had fun making this episode. If you've had fun too, we invite you to share this episode and help us get the word out. For our Spotify listeners, we ask you to please rate our show as well. That can really help to grow our audience. But to all our listeners everywhere, we want to say thank you for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.